our second, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our second week in our Arrow series, I'm Ross. I'm one of the pastors here at Momentum, and it's just good to have all you here. If you're a guest with us, good having you as well. And I want you to open your Bibles over to Psalm 127, Psalm 127. This is a super incredibly important series. Uh, rarely do I do this. When we do series, do I ask for perfect attendance? And last week I asked, I was like, man, I want y'all to come every week of the five-week series. If you miss a week and you catch it on Facebook Live, we'll count that as perfect attendance, okay? So four days here, one day on digital, some format, and that's perfect attendance. But I hardly ever do that, but that's how important I believe the series is because families are everything, really. I mean, the family, the legacy, what God's doing in you as parents is huge. And now some of you might say, but pastor, I'm not a parent. I don't have children. I, I get that. But listen, there's people in your life that you can, can treat as a child, a neighborhood kid. You know, maybe it's a niece or a nephew. There's people that you sow into. So there is that. Also, every single person here, you are children of God. Amen. He is father. And so some of these things that we'll look at over the series, put yourself in the place of the child and think of God as the father, because he is, and, and it'll help you continue as well. There's something for every one of us in every week of this series. And so, and also what I found is whenever I feel like I preach something that's super important, I can preach on money and good stewardship, and guess what'll happen? I'll have a $1,200 car repair bill come up. You know what I'm saying? I could preach on marriage and fight with my wife more that week than ever before. You know, what is that? I don't know. It's just the enemy, I think. You know, preach on healing and feel sick, you know? And true to form, week and a half ago, we get a call from the school, and my maverick, seven years old, second grade, Mac, he... um. You can't take a rock and hit a kid with it and think you're not going to get in trouble. You know? So little Mac, during my Family Life series, has chosen to hit a, not just a child, a girl, in the face with a rock and had to do two days ISS, you know, in-school suspension, seven years old, you know? What in the world? Now, we, we got called this week. We had to go in for a parent-teacher conference. When we get there, you know it's bad when it's the teacher and other people. It's like, oh, the professionals are coming. And so, so they sat down and they let us know that, man, nobody is sweeter than Mac Wiseman. He's a good boy. He doesn't mean this. He, he's not malicious at all. He just threw the rock up in the air. He just doesn't think, you know? And I'm like, I know, like his mother. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, at fourth grade, uh, my dad, they said, Pastor Wiseman, don't bring Ross back to school anymore, you know? And so I was asked to, to, to venture into another um, mode of education when I was about 10. And, um, and so my boys, they struggle with some of the same itises that I struggle with. And we're just excitable, you know? And, um, and so she was telling about how Mac, he, he, the chair, he just can't. Why would you ever just put your butt in a chair, Carter, when you can put your knees in a chair and your shins up on the, no, don't you? No, no, no. <laughs> Carter was this student. This was, yeah. yeah. And so the same way with Mac, he's just always something is going on. So we, of all times, we get called in for, for, for this. And, and so a week and a half ago, we told Mac, Mac, you've lost everything. You know, this is bad, buddy. You got to learn to control yourself. You've lost everything. Everything? 
everything. Well, what's that look like at our house when you lose everything? It means everything. He has a bed and a light bulb. You think I'm joking. Everything in his room is stuffed in our stand-up shower. He has no toys. He, had, he, he only got a blanket one night. No, no, he had a blanket, but that was it, you know? And, um, and so he had a few days that had to go good at school to be able to earn, you know, some stuff back. And, and so he's earning stuff back. We go in and we meet with the teacher and the teacher and the counselor and principal and chaplain. No. They all are like, you know, he's a good boy. He's just excitable. And, um, and so with that tension, with that, you know, that, that ADD stuff, squirrel, you know, maybe something can help him, you know. And, and we talked how when Grant was younger, coffee helped him. And I know for me, liquid anointing is everything. I can't keep my mind stayed on anything without some coffee. Coffee helps me so much, you know. And so she gave us permission to send coffee to school with Mac. So my little seven-year-old got to school on Thursday with his little red Stanley thermos full of coffee. And when he got off the bus, he had his little red Stanley thermos of coffee, and he had a smiley face for every part of the day on Thursday. Yeah. When I got home, he showed me his paper. He was so excited. And I told him, I said, man, that's awesome. I said, you know what that is? He said, what? I said, it's the power of Jesus in coffee. So on Friday... Um, I told him all week, if you do really good, daddy's going to take you to the woods. And we're going to go camp on Friday night and Saturday. That boy loves the woods. And so I said, we'll go camping if you do, if you should do good all week. And he was doing really good all week, especially those last two days. And so Friday, he gets off the bus, and he's just excited. He comes walking up the steps, and he's got his, his coffee mug. And as he's coming up the steps, he said, daddy, guess what? I go, what? He goes, the power of Jesus in coffee. <laughs> shows me shows me his little um, smiley face and man he was so proud of himself and so he didn't realize that we dump anointing oil down into that coffee no we don't we don't if we, if it would work we would next time we'll just start doing that but, but praise god man it was but it was just so appropriate to me that like god was just kind of like yeah yeah i'm gonna let you teach on parenting i'm just so how bad a parent you really are no but it's like that, you know, you start to focus and things get a little squirrely. So I take Matt camping. We had such a good time. I'm going to tell a little bit of stories um, as, we, as we talk about um, parenting today. And I'll bring some things out that happened when we were camping. But we had a great time, you know. And Mac, full of energy. Oh, Lord. I realize, like, what's going on at school when I have him on the trail. Because every root is something you can spin on. And every rock is something you can jump off, you know? And every branch is something you can pull down to the chagrin of other hikers. And it was just Mac, 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 Mac. It was something. So let's stand to our feet. I want us to get into Psalm 127. This is our jumping off verse, same as last week, Psalm 127. And this passage of scripture paints a picture for us of what children are and what parents are, um, it, metaphorically. It says in verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Everybody say they're a blessing. A blessing. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Say a reward. a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Father, in the name of Jesus, over the next few minutes, would you help us, God, look and understand what it looks like to release our kids into your 
care and direction for their benefit in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and have your seat. We're going to be looking at a subject today we're calling it Let It Fly. But last week what we looked at was the idea of the arrows and how the arrows are all different. And when I took Mac camping, I took this bow. I thought it'd be fun. And I told him about my sermon. And, and so he's going through it. And I was explaining how every arrow is different and it represents you. And he goes, do I have an arrow? I said, yeah. And he said, which one? I said, well, I'll get to it. And so he's like, well, the pink one's Arden. And he knew that. He could just tell it's pink. You're absolutely right. And we worked our way to him. And when we pulled his arrow out, that boy was so excited. He looked at it and he can read real well. And he read on it. He goes, it says fearless, dad. He goes, I am fearless. And he had this almost, this like, like made me afraid. <laughs> Look, like, and there's camo on it. And I said, you know, the camo, you love the outdoors. Oh, I like the outdoors, dad. I do, you know. And it was just the cutest thing. And, and, but I wanted him to be able to shoot this bow while we were together um, there at camp. And so I brought it and I brought the target. And, um, and so we had a wonderful time with that. Um, um, but he was, he was just, you know, and I'll tell you how much he enjoyed camping. This blew my mind. I had to run and get something last night. And I dropped him off at the house so he'd get his bath. And I went to get something at the store. And Amy hears him in there crying. And he's just boo-hooing, boo-hooing all by himself, just boo-hooing. And she goes, and she goes, Mac, are you okay? He goes, yeah. She goes, what's wrong? She thought maybe he got burned by the water. What's wrong? He goes, I just, I just want to camp longer. <laughs> we only camp one night. I just want to camp. I want to, I want to camp more, you know? So I thought it was cute. So then when I put him to bed later on that night, I hear him in there crying. I walk in. What's going on, buddy? He goes, I just... When are we going to go camping again? You know, I just love it so much. I don't want to wait till my birthday, you know. And, um, and we do. We take them pretty often. But, but it was just like, oh, I love that my boy loves the outdoors. So sweet, you know. And he's fearless, you know. And so he's unique. The thing about that is every one of our children are unique, but there's only one target. It doesn't matter how unique and different they are. They are aimed at one thing and one thing alone. And I told you that was Matthew 6, 33, that we seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and then everything else is added unto us. That's the, the goal, to, to aim our kids toward the target. When Mac grabbed a hold of this bow for the first time, it was aimed at everything but the target. It was, I mean, it, I had to grab him, I had to direct him, I had to point him toward the target, but that's the goal. And we all have one target with our children, is that they will know Jesus, they will follow his commandments, and we need to listen to folks. Say, listen to folk. When they know more stuff than us. Amen? How many have somebody here in this church, or in your life, that disciples you? Listen to them. And you, know, you ought to have people in your life that's discipling you, and then there are people in your life that you're discipling, Amen? Yeah, we, there should be kind of that kind of a, a flow in our lives. And, and, um, and not too long ago, this idea of pressing into righteousness, the right things of God, what God has for us. I was trying my best to help a family, and it was just driving me crazy because the young man just wouldn't take no counsel. And, and I said to him, I said, listen, I've been married 20, almost five years, ministry 26. You need to listen the things you're doing are outside of righteousness. The things you're doing are outside the commands of the Lord. Listen. He wouldn't listen. Broke my heart. Just wouldn't take counsel, wouldn't take direction. Is it pastor's fault or God's fault if that young man steers his family into a ditch? No. It's the young man's fault, right? 
But it breaks my heart and it breaks daddy's heart, breaks father God's heart, amen? So when it comes to it, the target is the target. It doesn't change. The target is called righteousness. Right living between God and man. So righteousness isn't self-righteousness. It's not holier than thou, and it's not being perfect. It's choosing to live right before God and before man. And God says, man, if you'll seek after me and my commandments, everything will get added to you. That's the target. That's the goal. And so that's what God desires for us. And guess what works? If we do that, it works. And guess what? As parents, it works too. For us to point our kids, is it your responsibility how they turn out years later? There comes a point when they are sovereign creatures, not sovereign, they are free will creatures. They've got to submit to a sovereign God as well, amen? And there comes a point where they are held accountable for their decisions. But for us as parents, our whole job, while we have them, is to do the best we can to point them at the target. So that was last week, beginning to look at what the target looked like, beginning to see the uniqueness of our children. And, and, and it's because <coughs> we want to show them a way. We want to show them light in the darkness. We want to show them an opportunity of how it can look like. That's why this Kids Fest thing is big for us around here. You know, I'm serious. I know Pastor Stephanie talked about, come out and serve. It's about 40 of us to go out there and serve, sign up for a couple things. Just go to www.mymomentumchurch.tv and sign up before this service is over and go out there on Wednesdays as we try to show these people a target. This is what it looks like. This is where we're headed as we minister to them in a dark kind of environment at times, you know? You know, the, the, like, like your little, their little goofy goblins will come up. You know, that's one thing, but then you got the Halloween people. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, what in the world? You know it's true. You know it's, you're like going, Johnny, cover your eyes, cover your eyes. You know, you know it's true. But when it comes down to it, it's a dark environment at times. We get the chance to bring some light and help people look to Jesus in the midst of that. Amen? Amen. So, um, <laughs> let's get into this today. When it comes down to today's talk, we're going to look at how important it is not just to have an arrow and not just to have a bow and not just to have a target, but when it comes to shooting this, one of the most important things, if you, how many's ever shot a bow before? Okay, good deal of you. One of the most important things about shooting a bow, and I don't have a target today, so, all right, Tart Carter. No, one of the most important things about shooting a bow is called the release. Everybody say the release. Okay? It's, it's what you're doing with this hand right here. And with Mac, when he grabbed a hold of that bow the first time, he was just all meat pawing it. I mean, he had his hand clear. That string was clear up into his palm, and he's holding on like this, and he's pulling back, and, and I'm trying to help him. And it's a mess because the release matters. Going at it with the intention that you're going to let go of that string matters. And as he grabbed it, he wasn't grabbing it like he was preparing to let go. He was grabbing it like he was choosing to hold on. He's not going to be able to direct that arrow where it needs to go as long as he is trying by his own power, everybody say to hold on. All right. So the release is important. In order to release your hand, in order to do that, you've got to relax the fingers of your hand. What's scary about that when it comes to it is that the relaxing of your fingers means that at one point you feel like you have very little control. I mean, it's just the three fingers of your hand. It's just a little bit of control. So the first thing we need to understand is this. Listen, the release is essential if your arrow is going to fly. If your child is going to go downrange and hit the target, if we're going to help them live 
aimed at the target, then the release is essential. Or they'll never fly toward the target. It will not happen. The aim when you're doing the release is to make a clean of a release as possible. And to do that, it takes the fingers of your hand to be very relaxed. It's like they're there, but you're ready to let go at any time. And it feels like, ooh, that's just, that's kind of, when it comes to spiritual things, it's kind of like, I kind of let the Holy Spirit help with this? Yes. Yes, you've got to let the Holy Spirit be a part of this release. You can't do it on your own. And, and if you try to hold on super tight, it's going to throw the trajectory of the arrow completely off. So what this should do when we think of it's all about the release, when we think that's so important, it should shift our thinking. And the way it should shift our thinking, it should shift our thinking into the viewpoint that parenting is more about a propulsion system than a prison system. Anybody that's under the 18 say, come on. Yeah, I'm preaching for you kids now. It's more about propulsion than prison, you know. There's, there's young people like mugs going on the bars, you know. Help me, pastor, help me. <laughs> so your home should be more like a Kennedy Space Center than San Quentin. All right? It's about propulsion. It's about moving forward. It's about launching. Say launch. Yeah, yeah, it's more about that. Now, there's times... When it comes to your home, that you've got to decide what visitors are going to come, what hours visitation is going to be. There's times where you got to figure out, is there any contraband? Okay. I, I mean, in some ways, I, I get this whole prison metaphor, this whole prison idea. You know, not too long ago, Grant, we looked at his phone, looked at some of his texts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Circumspect a little bit, this and that. You know, begin to speak into it, those kinds of things. He's not in prison, but we are checking those things. Why? Because even a launch pad has security around it, right? But the difference is a launch pad has security around it, not so that the rocket and the astronauts can't get away from the launch pad. It's so the stuff won't get in. Does that make sense? But some of us hold our kids so tight, that release, that it's as if we choke everything out of them. It's as if they're in a prison system. And, and yes, you're right now, Mac, in a sense, he lost all his possessions. They're ours, and he's earning things back. One pillow, one... Oh, no, I think he had his pillow and his blanket. That was all he had. We're not cruel. But he's earning stuff back, one little toy, one little thing at a time, you know? And so the reason why this is so important is because the goal isn't to just keep them locked down. The goal is launch. That's the goal. Well, the Bible says to us in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it says, train up a child in the way he should go. That should have got some of y'all excited right there. Go, hallelujah, you know. I got one over here, Adelie Ray in May and Zach, mm, hallelujah, she's going. It's exciting, you know. We're, we're happy that Zach has taken her from us, no. But she's going. Now we've got a whole bunch more in the house that are still being trained. But, but she's fixing to go. Praise God. That's so cool. I love it, you know. And so we train up a child the way they should. Everybody say go. go. And even when they're old, they will not depart from it. So when it comes to this metaphor of prisons, prisons are meant for keeping. Launch pads are designed for sending. And that home, it should be more about releasing than holding on tight. The problem is there's a security that comes as a parent when we lock it all down, 
when we hold it all tight, when nothing gets in, nothing gets out. Feels kind of like we're doing our job, but we're missing it because we're not partnering with God, who God also is parenting this child. And guess what? God will be fathering them a lot longer than you're allowed to father them. Right? Yes, he will. So, yeah, so we train them up so that we can let them go. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. Testament, we see Hannah from the beginning. Keep the end in mind from the beginning. In the Old Testament, we see Hannah in 1 Samuel, and she has been barren, her and her husband Elkanah. Every year they go to temple. Every year they pray. Every year they're hoping that she will lose her barrenness and she will have a child. And one year we see a little glimpse where she's praying, and she says this to God. She tells him, remember me and not forget your servant, but I will give to your servant a son, and then I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Before she even had an embryo, she was making a vow with the end in sight. Before anything was even formed in her womb, she was declaring the end. Before she was pregnant, she was opening the fingers of her hand to release this arrow this arrow that would eventually be Samuel, the prophet, that would do amazing things for God before. Everybody say before. So she set in motion from the time that baby, even before it was born, that she's going to release this child. Before Adelie was even born, I thank God she was set in motion to be released, to marry a young man like Zach, and to move forward in the things of God as the Lord shows them to move forward. Amen. Blesses my heart. It really does. So this is the difference, because I am not the owner of Adelie, I'm a steward of Adelie. Hannah realized this gift that was coming from God wasn't hers to own, it was hers to steward. When it comes to our children, they're not our possession, they are legacy, they're our legacy to steward, they're God's possession. And so with Adelie, I will be having to give account for how I have stewarded that girl, Every, with every stewardship, there's always a day of reckoning when the owner will ask you to give account with that which has been entrusted to your care. And my cannot wait next year, May, whatever it is, 11th, to me, that's what that... <laughs> I'm going to have so much more money when she's gone. <laughs> it's true (laughs) but when I I stand there at that altar with them and I join their hands and I go back and stand with Amy when I do that to me I feel like God she's been yours all along and today I give account to you and I do I feel I've stewarded this one well I'm not sure if I've stewarded all of them well I'm trying some of them are more difficult than the others. <laughs> not Auburn. She's fine. They're not ours too. But, um, but that's it. As parents, we don't hold on so tight because they're not ours to hold on to so tight. We are stewards and we keep the end in mind. I don't care if Adelie's in full-time ministry someday or not. I don't care if my children are in full-time ministry someday or not. If that's what God has for them, great. I do care that they'll seek the Lord with all their heart and seek after righteousness. Because I know when that happens, that everything will be added to them. Amen? And I know that for your children as well. Can you give God some praise in here? Amen?
Mm. Boy, I'm all verklempt. I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. Ah. All right, so number three, children are supposed to leave, but the marriage is supposed to stay. Can I say it again? Children are supposed to leave. Hot mama's supposed to stay. Good daddy's supposed to stay, right? But you know these millennials have messed that up. Did you guys know that? We in the South, y'all, we in the South, we in the South, and we can't say daddy no more. Because the millennials say it's got a little sexual overtone. Have you heard this? Tell you, 20-something, y'all messing everything up. My kids are like, we can't call you daddy. I'm like, how can you not call me daddy? Because you know, you know, daddy. No, I don't know. I don't know daddy. What you? I'm sorry. This is not in the notes. I just thought it was crazy. And then all of a sudden, Mama started calling me Daddy. <laughs> Just saying. And when she started calling me Daddy, I was like, yeah, Lord, don't have my kids call me Daddy. That's weird. Because <laughs> nobody called me Daddy like Mama called me Daddy. <laughs> daddy. I'm sorry. All right. This is why the children need to leave. Because children leave the marriage stays, right? Genesis 2, verse 24, it says, therefore a man shall leave, you okay, mama? Okay. <laughs> therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. There's a leaving and a cleaving that takes place. You leave home a mom and daddy and you go to your wife or your husband and you cleave together and you become a new home. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the intention of the child-parent relationship is that they leave and they become their own homemakers, if you will. And so we need to approach parenting in such a way that we have this expectation that the kids are going to leave. And if we put too much emphasis on our children in the home over the needs of our spouses, number one, three issues, okay? The greatest percentage of divorces take place, number one, between those that have been married from zero to seven years. That's that, that's that, that hardest seven years. How many here, you've been married over seven years? Raise your hands. All right, give yourselves, yeah. <laughs> Woo, you're over seven years. That's awesome. Do you know what the next highest percentage of divorce rate is? Those have been married about 25 years. Is that crazy? How many have been married over 25 years? All right, and they're still together, praise the Lord. But that's that next divorce rate. You know why? Because of the empty nest syndrome. When the kids leave, if life has only been lived for the kids and they have been the center of everything, then you don't have that relationship with the spouse that holds everything together with your, your union, with your marriage. You know, my kids know I love you. And I've said this to them. They've heard me say it. Guys, I love you. I just love mommy more. And I've always said it as a joke. And they, but they, and they, they receive it. They understand what I'm saying. I just, I mean, I, I say it because I mean it. I love Amy more. It's a different kind of love. It's a deeper kind of thing. It's, I know it's different and it sounds really wrong. But man, I'm going to be with her till death us part. You know, my kids one at a time are going to leave my house. But she's not. And so I want to live with that in mind now. And the way I honor her and treat her and prefer her time-wise and various things. Now, not to the detriment of the safety of our children, amen? Not to the detriment of the provision of our children. If your kid's not eating so that you can have some neat little getaway vacation 
and you're robbing your child, that's wrong, okay? But man, I'm telling you, Amy and I started this thing about four or five years ago, where in the spring, we go hike for a week together, you know, just her and I, away from the children. It's glorious. It's wonderful. And it's something that for her and I, we, we, we envision it before we go. We're planning it. We're scheduling things. Our spending is unified around it. Our, our, we have dreams and goals and there's skills and things that we've got to learn. You know, just all sorts of stuff together. And it's just been a really neat thing that we've picked up in the last half decade. We love it, you know. It's very important to have that. That focus on being a husband and a wife has to happen beyond being a mother and a father. If our focus is always being mom and dad, and that's where our main focus lies, then when those kids are gone, we're going to be missing something between husband and wife. Amen? So we've got to understand that children are supposed to leave. The marriage is supposed to stay. So the, the way it works is you got center of the home is Jesus, and then husband and wife, and then little Johnny. And I'm sorry, little Johnny thinks he's the center of the universe because you've helped him think that, and every teacher and every coach has given him every single participatory you know, trophy for just... I'm sorry, that's all, that's, I'm going to start meddling. The world clearly resolves around Johnny. Well, we made him feel that way, We've, you know? Man, you want your children to know that the world revolves around Jesus and then mom and dad in the house and then them. Psychologists will tell you, children's psychologists will tell you, like Doc Dobson, he'll let you know. It puts a sense of peace in those kids that they don't even understand. It's subconscious. It's, it's one of these things where you say, no, no, nobody, I love you, but this is couch time with mommy right now. You need to go over there. No, 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 no. You need to go because I'm hanging with mom right now. And they're five going, but, 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 no, no, no. I want to spend time with mother. You go to your room. I know there's nothing in it, but you go to your room. <laughs> Child psychologists, there's something about it that gives them, my, my older girls have told us what it's meant to them through their lives to see how we preferred each other over them, you know? It's kind of neat because the little ones make you feel like a horrible parent and the older ones help you go, no, you're not, right. you're not, right. you aren't perfect by no means, but you get, you're okay, you know? So we're learning. So no, so when it comes down to it, just remember, man, focus on that husband-wife relationship. Next thing, you don't walk an arrow to its target, Amen. So, we took this camping with us because I wanted to show Mac this. I knew he would get a kick out of this. And, I, and I'll be honest, I thought, well, there's going to be some stuff that I'm going to learn for this sermon through this too. And um, so one of the things is we have the target over here. And you don't, okay, Mac, put this arrow in that target. And Mac grabs it, and I grab the arrow with him. And come on, Mac, let's, come on, Mac, let's put this in the target. Let's, let's come. You don't walk an arrow to a target, do you? No, you, you, you've got to at some point let go and trust that everything that's in play over here is going to propel that arrow to the bullseye. That everything that you've been working on over here, to me, power of the Holy Spirit, to me, the church, all these things, to me, the Word of God, getting it dropped into our lives. And then at point, you have to let go for that arrow to be able to get to that target correctly. You don't walk an arrow to a target. That's just silly. But sometimes we are too hands-on with our children. Sometimes we don't trust that we can create this system and let them try it out. Let them see what's going on. Now, when Mac, when I handed this to Mac the first time, it was scary, y'all. 
He had this point in all different directions. So I grabbed the hold of his hands, and I put my left hand on his left hand. I put my right hand on his right hand. Now, his right hand was clear up here. There's no way he's going to be able to release that well, meat pawing that string like that. I understand. It's got to be down here on his fingers. So, Mac, you got to put your fingers. Well, I'll never be able to pull it back, Daddy. No, I, I understand that. But that's how you got you to get that muscle memory. You got to remember what that feels like on your fingers. And I put my hands and fingers over his fingers right here. So I've got my left hand on him. I've got my right hand on him. And now let's do this. And I aim him. I get him perpendicular to the target. I pull back with him. And we do this together. Okay? So that was how it was the first time. But there was a point for that arrow to go that I had. Now, it was easy if I said, and he would do it too. There was a few times I'm like, no, Mac, come on. He's taking an arrow and just walking over and sticking it in the target. You know? No, Mac, we got to learn how to do this, do this right. The problem with this is if we don't let them start to do it on their own, they will never know how to do it when they're on their own. Okay? So for Mac, what happened at first is I kept my left hand on his left hand, but his right hand, I grabbed his wrist. So now he's in control of releasing himself. Is daddy still a part of this? Yes. But I'm not walking the arrow to the target with him. I'm not holding his releasing fingers. He's got to learn what that feels like. But I'm holding his wrist, and we pull back, and I hold his wrist. And he's getting a view, and he's getting it all squared away, and he's letting go himself. It's pretty awesome, you know? Eventually, guess what? I took the left hand, because this was like kind of aiming hand, right? And I took the left hand, and I grabbed his left wrist. By the end, I was grabbing his elbows. He's seven. I wasn't letting go totally. <laughs> Not with that bow. That bow's eight to maybe 12, nine to 12-year-old. 12 it's, it's a junior bow, but, but it was still a little much for him to pull back. But I'm grabbing on back here by his elbows. But he's, he essentially, at the end, he was aiming at himself, he was releasing at himself, and he was, he was shooting better than me, and it was making me a little frustrated. <laughs> and so he was getting excited about that. Daddy, I shot better than you. And so, so here's the problem. When kids get emancipated from home, if we have held on too tight, if we walked every arrow for them, if we've held on too tight, then they can't deal with those freedoms when they come. They can't deal with what it looks like. Your kids rather deal with life because they've not been able to make those decisions. You have to give yourself, your kids rather, enough bandwidth to make bad decisions when they're still under your covering and care. Let them make bad decisions when they're under your cover and care. Grant that kid, he sleeps in sometimes. And so he had slept in on a school day. It was actually a day I was at home. And um, next thing I know, you know, I end up taking him to school that day. No big deal. He ends up doing it again. And um, when he did it this time, I was like, you're going to walk to school. And he's, we live over by Target on 92, and he goes to Woodstock High. That seems really far. And to him in that moment, he's like, Dad, that's so far, I can't do that. And I'm like, well, you're going to have to start walking now because you're going to do it. You're 16 years old. You can wake up yourself, you know. And so when it came down to it, he takes off. And I told him, I said, look, go down um, Bascom Carmel and go into this neighborhood, Heatherwood. You know the neighborhood? Yeah, yeah. Go back by where our old friends used to live. I told him where. And right there, there's some trails. They'll take you. And I showed him on my phone. See this? They'll take you over to the school. It's not as far as it looks, you know. And so now it's about a few, I don't know, half hour later or so, 45 minutes later, and I get a phone call. And dad, I'm in the woods and I'm lost. <laughs> what do I do? And I'm like, use your phone like I showed you and pull up 
the satellite imagery, and it'll show you right where you are. He knows how this works. It'll show you right where you are in those woods, and you'll get to school. He goes, I don't want to do that because it'll use my data. I'm like, well, then use your data, sit in the woods, lost all day. But I'm not going to tell you. I mean, you've got it right there, you know. So, so finally he did, and he realized, oh, there's three trails. I'm on the wrong trail. And guess what that boy did? He got himself to school. Well, he should have. He's 16, you know. But I wasn't about to do it again for him. You know why? Because he would always just, well, I can just sleep in. No big deal. No, if I sleep in, I got a choice of sleep in. But I'm going to be walking through the woods to school. You know, so under my covering, he's starting to learn that. Does it make sense? I don't want to figure that stuff out once he's out and realizes, yeah, I overslept, boss. I'm sorry, boss. That doesn't fly very long, does it? No, it doesn't. So watch this. Psalm 144.12 says it this way, that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth. Ooh, that's powerful. Do you see that? That our sons would be grown up when? In their youth. Not that our sons would be grown up in their mid-20s or 30s, but there would be a level of development and growth in our kids, this grain that's going through them that will allow them in strength to get to the target, that direction to get to the target. It's being developed in them in their youth. They're growing up. I love that. I love that. I want that plant grown up in my house before it leaves my house so it stays out of my house. <laughs> they come back, you know. I want them to learn what that looks like. So freedom creates opportunities. Opportunities are wonderful. Opportunities managed well, guess what? Create more freedoms. Always telling my kids that. You show me I can trust you. You'll have a free, free, free birth to do whatever you want to do, you know. When I was a kid, 15 years old, I'd get on my 12-speed. I would ride 50 miles one direction and play in this wave pool, first wave pool in the nation. And we'd play for a couple hours, and then we would ride 50 miles back. The road was real flat. I still can't believe we did that. I can't believe my parents would let me do that at 15. But you know what? Different era. I get that. But Grant, he was going to need a ride to work. It's nine miles. Nine miles. And he's like, I can't ride my bike. Yes, you can. You know, you, you ride that bike and watch how much freedom it opens up to you, you know? You, you take those freedoms, you're responsible with those freedoms, those, those, those difficult choices and decisions, and you get more opportunities, right? Oh, yeah. And so, opportunities that are not met, though, with godly choices result in a lack of freedom. And then we've got to let our kids learn that. And it's okay for them to make bad choices and to miss things and to, to, to miss the mark a little bit. Under your roof, that's a good thing. Don't make every decision. Do not walk that arrow to the target yourself. Amen? Let them figure this out and try some, and then help them redirect, help them through it. Amen? But you got to let it to bear upon them. Um, yeah. The next thing is this. Our goal should be to empower, not hover over our children. Empower, not hover. You've heard the term helicopter parents, right? Where those parents just are constantly hovering over, hold on a second, yeah, constantly hovering over their kids. Um, we've got to be careful of that when it comes to our children. This overparenting, what it does, it leads to prolonged adolescence. Prolonged adolescence. But it's easy to try to take care of every little need, every little circumstance, every little thing that's going on in their life, and not let them face stuff. 
And that's one of those things where with my older girls, we made a decision a long time ago, a lot of their car repairs, we let them pay to the tune at times of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. But we allow them to pay it. We're not going to hover over. We want them to feel that burden. Part of that is a burden that, guess what? The Jehovah Jireh can become their provider. Okay? I don't want mom and daddy to always be the provision for my kids. I want them to figure out, man, God, how are you going to supply my need? Well, the same Jehovah or the same God that's our provider for me and mama is the same provider for them too. And guess what? He's shown himself faithful time and time and time again in these young people's lives. He has. He's shown up because we've got, given that space to them to not hover, not to fix everything. It was cute. In the last service, I had a woman come up. She said, oh, pastor, you won't even realize it. During the service, my son, my adult son is texting me and saying to me, mom, I'm at Pet Boys and I got to buy this and this and this and that and a test and blah, blah, blah. Can you pay for it? And she said, but with the word this morning, I was like, no. But, but, but I got rent coming up. I have rent coming up. God will provide. <laughs> and yes, he will. Won't he? Won't he? So we're teaching our kids to aim right. Keep your direction toward the Lord. Because if they'll seek God with all their hearts, guess what? They will be added to. That's what the Bible says. So we want to not be hovering parents you know, the, the, the greatest percentage, the 18 to 29-year-olds, there's a higher percentage of those now living with their parents than that live on their own. Did you know that? There are more 18 to 29-year-olds living at home than living on their own. That's a new demographic. And I, and I do understand. There's a lot of sociological things. There's a lot of economic things that are difficult. And so I'm not trying to, if you're in that situation, you're living in that situation, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, okay? If you're not working a job and you're not going to college, you should feel bad, can I help you? If you're in that age bracket and you're not going to college and you're not working a job, come on, you know. I was hoping some more parents would be like, yeah, preach it, preach it. No. Okay. So college and a job, that's important if you're going to, you know. But I do understand there is a season and things like that. I get that. But if we just hover, 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 hovering will create helplessness. You don't want your 28, 29-year-old young man to be helpless. Amen? Does that make sense? Facing consequences are part of the developmental process. Having to face a bad choice and realize, I did this to myself, and my mom and daddy aren't bailing me out. It's part of the growing process, you know? But we just want to let Johnny know, you're a winner. You're a winner. You're a winner. No, Johnny, you're acting like a loser. And guess what? Losers lose. Amen? Smile. All right. <laughs> so that entitlement, all that kind of stuff, what it does, it handicaps our children. And, and there's things that, I, mean, I keep talking about Adelie and Zach over here, but guys, they already know this. There's things that they're starting to make decisions about that I don't feel I'm the rightful person to make that decision. Why? Because I'm not going to hover. It's empowering. It's, they're, they're getting ready to be released. So there's something married a whole lot longer than they're going to be in my house, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, they're going to be together till death do this, them part, right? So with that, there's some decisions they're having to make. You guys need to make that decision. I wish my father-in-law would have done that with me. Amy graduates high school. He puts $500 down on a Ford Escort that was like two years old. What's funny, it was two years old. It was two cars, that were mushed together, didn't have matching numbers. He buys this thing like almost eight grand, 
This is 20 some years ago. It was a horrible deal. I would have never ever bought that car. He made that choice and I paid for it for the next five years. Do I sound bitter? I had to put new tires on it every few months because it ate tires because it was two cars. It wasn't right. It wasn't aligned right. So that's one of those things where, yeah, honey, you know what? We want to do $500 for you for your car for graduation. Why don't you, because Amy and I were talking about marriage, why don't you two talk about it, see if that's a car that's going to work for y'all, you know, see, whatever. So I'm just saying, there's some things, I wish you wouldn't have hovered. I wish you were just empowered at that moment because we wouldn't have had that lemon. Let's keep going. Number six, God has a plan for your child. God has a plan for your child. It's easy if we're not careful to live vicariously through our children. You know, from the time I was four to about 31, I played soccer. Till I was about 35, I dirt biked. I know I don't look like that now. Had lots of sports injuries toward the end there. And, um, but I love it. I love sports. I love all that stuff. And, and man, my kids, I would love for them just been all geeked out about soccer. Auburn played, played a few years, did really good at it. You know, but it just wasn't something that owned their attention like it owned mine. It just, it just wasn't. It would have been wrong for me to have pushed and pushed and pushed on that because it just wasn't something that owned their attention. To find ourselves planting dreams in our kids that flow out of our passions, but not necessarily how God has uniquely created them, will hinder them from happiness in their future. It'll hinder them from hearing what God has for them. Yes, obviously, I want them to get to heaven. I want them to love Jesus. On the way, I want them to walk after Jesus' commandments. But I want them to follow the dreams and passions that are unique for them. You know, some of my kids may go into ministry. Some may not. I pray every one of them is a minister. Let me say that again. Some of them may go into ministry. Some of them may not. I pray every one of them is a minister. Because they can be a teaching minister, all right, as a school teacher. They can be a, 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 a rock and roll musician minister. I don't know, you know photography, world traveler, whatever minister, you know, they can, they can be whatever, you know, Grant is a Publix. He, he could work. How many Publix folk? We have a bunch of Publix folk. Are they in this service? Last service, we have a bunch of Publix folk, you know, could work at Publix and be a minister everywhere you go seeking first the kingdom. You're a minister of the gospel. Amen. And so I just don't want to impose that upon them. I want God to put on him, them what God has for them. So what God does have for them, that should be what we focus in on and try to nurture. In Judges chapter 13, 12, when Samson was going to be born to a father named Manoah, the angel of the Lord, some say it's a Christophany. What that means is Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. And so Jesus shows up in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord, and he speaks to Manoah about this boy, Samson, that's going to be born. And it says this, now when your words come true, Manoah asks when the baby comes, what is to be the child's manner of life, and what is his mission? And what is their mission? Helping them concerned with, God, what's the manner of life that you have for my child, and what is their mission? Helping them find the manner of life and the mission as directed by God, because before they were even a gleam in daddy's eye, God knew their ways. Amen? Manner of life and mission. God has a plan for your child. Now, where we mess up, like Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel, he had a heart, like many of us, you want your kids to follow in your path, and he would love for Jonathan to have followed in his path as king, but Jonathan has this amazing relationship with David, who God has chosen, that he's going to anoint David, and well, how can you 
ascend to the kingship. If you're best friend, God has said he's going to be king. And, and it just made Saul a little upset, you know, through the whole thing. Eventually, Saul's anger was of such that he threw a sword at Jonathan. Can I tell you this way? We will potentially hurt our children if we hold on to our dream for them. I don't know what that hurt will look like, but there's potential for hurt if we try to hold on to our dream. Every kid that we have has potential. Like this rubber band, it's got potential, right? I mean, I can pull it back, and with all that energy, it's got potential. Say it's got potential. Yeah, yeah, that bow is full of potential. There comes a point where you let it go. That has to be let go. There has to be a letting go for the potential to be actualized, right? If I have all that potential and I don't let go, if I do let go, what'll happen? If I don't let go, if I let go, um, um, if I'm reticent to let go over time, it's going to bring pain. I've got to be able to let it go. I've got to hold it loose enough to let it, to let it go. Right? Jonas, come up here. I've known Jonas since he was about five years old. Jonas's daddy, um, Maduka, he's a fellow Oral Roberts University grad. When he and I coached soccer back in the day, when his boy and my boy were five, these little guys. You guys aren't little guys no more. But, you know, with that idea, now when you think about it, okay, stand there. Stay. Stay. But ten- oh, it's funny when it's going to hit pastor in the arm, but the potential of this to leave a mark is real. I love you. It's real, you know. It will potentially hurt our children if we don't let go of them. They've got, you can, you can sit down. Give Jonas a, a pause. That is full of potential energy, but that energy is only seen when it moves forward. And God has a plan for your kid, amen? Don't hold them so tight that it hurts you or hurts them. And the final thing is this. The only hope of keeping them is to let them go, you know? It's the only hope. Don't raise your hand, but there are people in this room right now, you don't have a good relationship with mom and dad because they were so controlling, so manipulative, so judging, so guilt laying upon you that you just, it's easier just to stay distant from them. Don't raise your hand, but I know there are people in this room that that was the case. If you want to keep that relationship with your children, you've got to let them go. You've got to. That was apropos that that went to the Theodorakopoulos's who have six children and one on the way. Come on. No, I'm teasing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, it's, it's possible. It's possible. So, <laughs> so these children that we have, they're free moral agents. They make choices for themselves and they have to learn to know God for themselves. They have to learn that, that, that they're not to be God over their life, but neither is their parents. So we teach him in the ways like we looked last week. If you missed last Sunday, please go back and listen. We teach him the ways there to go. But then there comes that point when we've got to let him go. We've got to. Amen? Now the prodigal, his father let him go. And the kid made bad choices. But eventually that kid made the right choices, came to his senses, and was able to come back to the place of the heart's provision of God for him, you know? Was able to come back to that. And so what I want to do is, is this. When it comes to our lives right now, what are we doing right now, you know? Because there's a lot of potential energy with these kids, amen? And so what are we doing right now? What's it look like 
right now in your life when it comes to how you're modeling to your kids how they're supposed to treat their mother, how they're supposed to eventually someday treat their wife. What's that look like? We can't control once we let go, we can't control it. Amen? But right now, like Mac, I can get a hold of everything. I can kind of direct him. Mac, this is what it looks like to honor your mom. What's it look like in your finances to your children? Our kids have seen us. I'm not saying sacrifices for, I'm not saying like sacrifices for the ministry. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying just sacrifices to live as tithers, as those who give to missions, as those who support five kids in a foreign country. They've seen the sacrifices we've made so that we can model what it looks like to be financial stewards the way we believe you're supposed to be financial stewards. And they understand that because there's gonna come a moment when they're gonna have to be let go and they're gonna have to make a decision as to how they're gonna live. I can't control that, but they're gonna have, they've seen it modeled, you know? What's it look like in how you handle anger? There's times I've messed that up. What's it look like in how you, you, you manage things in the home and so on? What are you doing right now? I want us to close our, our eyes for just a moment. And I want you to ask that. What am I doing right now so that I am preparing my kid to be released someday. And if I feel like I'm missing it, can we give that to the Lord? Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we submit this to you because it's really not about the arrow. It's not about the target. It's about you. I don't have the ability within me myself and neither do my friends to be able to launch our kids successfully apart from you. We need Holy Spirit's interaction to create legacies in our lives. And so, Lord, we submit ourselves to you today, and we will not be those who hold so tight that you can't have your hand at work in our kids' lives. We will not be those who hold so tight that we refuse to let go when we're called to let go. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.